When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Football Social Daily. Spin like royalty here at kingcasino.com. Over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. Please play responsibly. BeGambleAware.org. They say a week is a long time in football, but what about a weekend? It might be the end of the Premier League season, but the talking points just keep on coming. And plenty of them to go through after the last couple of days here on Football Social Daily, the Premier League podcast full of news and opinion on the big stories from the English top flight. And none bigger from a Bournemouth point of view than Eddie Howe. The Cherries boss has left the club by mutual consent, a decision which has sent shockwaves through the Bournemouth fan base, who were convinced he would stay. Howe gone after Bournemouth were relegated from the Premier league last weekend it might be sad faces on sandbanks but it was all smiles at a sunny Wembley that is if you're an Arsenal supporter the Gunners beat Chelsea on Saturday to win their 14th FA Cup no club has won more and boss Mikel Arteta salvaging what's been an otherwise unsatisfactory season for the club Chelsea meanwhile had their gripes with referee Anthony Taylor as well as concerns over the welfare of Christian Pulisic the American picking up an injury with the start of the new Premier League season just over a month away we'll discuss all that as well as the latest top flight transfer gossip right here on Football Social Daily. So hit subscribe and you won't ever miss another episode again. My name's Niall McCorn. Alongside me on today's podcast, we've got Marley Anderson. Hello, Marley. Hey, mate. All right. Yeah, I'm very well. Not too bad. Not too bad. We've also got Stefan Armstrong, fresh off the back of a birthday weekend. Hello, Stefan. Ah, now. How's it going, man? You good? I'm good. Are you good, though? Because I heard you had a bit of a boozy one. Yeah, I'm good. I've recovered. I've, I've recovered. It was a bit of a boozy one, but I've recovered. And uh, it was going to be one of the best Saturdays of my life. Playing a bit of poker with the lads. Uh, York City were going to win the playoff final. Um, I was going to be 150 quid richer and see my team out of the real, real dungeons of English football going up a little bit. But they lost in the semis. It's all right. But our neighbours, Harrogate Town, have gone up to the football league. And Big John Stead played a mighty part in that. So I just want to have a shout out to everybody in Harrogate and to Big John Stead. So you're not a rival then? York City and Harrogate are not rival clubs? Nah, nah, nah. We're friendly, us guys. Oh, you Yorkshire lot, you're all friendly, do, aren't do you? Do Harrogate have rivals considering, you know, half of Harrogate is like tea rooms and, you know, Tory parties? <laughs> well, I mean, there is a big debate which Betty's is better. Betty's York or Betty's Harrogate. I mean, that's a rivalry. <laughs> I only know Harrogate because they've got spring water. It comes from there. That's the only thing I can think of. That comes from Harrogate. Anyway, yeah, well done to Harrogate, must be said. Uh, reaching the Football League for the first time in their history. But it's not the Football League we're here to talk about. It's the Premier League. And although Bournemouth have been relegated last Sunday, condemning them to a season in the Championship next year for the first time in five years, that five-year stint in the top flight came to an end. Um, Eddie Howe looked pretty disconsolate uh, um, after that game when even though Bournemouth had beaten Everton by three goals to one at Goodison Park, it still consigned them to next season in the Championship. He looked gutted. Who can blame him? It's been a hell of a project, Marley, for, for Eddie Howe at Bournemouth. And a lot of people, by all accounts, at the club were quite surprised to see him leave. Is it kind of a, a natural course of events that, you know, the kind of the Eddie Howe timeline comes to an end now after everything he's achieved there? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think, you know, a lot of fans were, were probably expecting this purely because he's been with the club, you know, through League Two, through League One 
into the Championship and then into the Premier League. So it wouldn't have been a surprise if he stayed because he knows what that's all about and he knows, you know, what he's, what he's getting into and all that type of stuff. Um, however, obviously when he left, I think it's it's almost a, a natural break and a natural time for him to to leave because you know if if he stayed it's almost like like another era of of Bournemouth's um of Bournemouth's sort of run um there's no guarantee obviously when you come back out of the championship if if you ever do get back to the premier league so maybe it's time to um to start looking at, at somebody else and and um and Eddie's obviously felt that way he's been linked with a lot of jobs over the years um maybe it's time for him to to go on and and uh, try his hand at another club because the last time he tried that I think he went to Burnley um, way back in sort of was it like 2012, 2013 or something like that and um, it didn't go very well for him so he went back to Bournemouth and, and picked up where he left off basically um, but now I think the time is is right for everyone to move on I think I don't think Bournemouth fans have too much of a like they can't be bitter about his, his, his um, exit so it's time to just wish him well and, um, and and move on and try and get back to the Premier League with with somebody else in charge. And I think the um, the early favourite for the job is the the assistant to Eddie Howe. So that proves you how much they they almost want to stay the same and and stay keeping keeping on, you know, with the familiarity and everything like that. So uh, we'll see where Bournemouth go from here. But I think it's a natural break and and time to uh, time to do something else for Eddie Howe. Yeah, I think you're right there, Marley. As well, the early front runner for the job to take over from Eddie Howe is Jason Tindall who is Bournemouth's assistant manager and they've been together for a few seasons um, kind of getting to know each other and I think the club are keen to kind of carry on the style of play that Bournemouth have shown in that rise up from League Two to the Premier League. What about you Stefan? I mean uh, people in Bournemouth those that cover the club through the media and and even the fans were quite surprised that Howe left um, by mutual consent and mutual consent it kind of suggests you know, either walk or we're going to sack you. And, you know, that's kind of what's happened to some big managers over the years. I remember the most famous one by mutual consent was probably Jose at Chelsea the first time around where he had a disagreement with Roman Abramovich and it was like, well, if you don't walk, I'm going to sack you. And that's kind of what mutual consent is. It's a decision between two parties, as the name suggests, to make a change. Does that surprise you, Stefan? Because obviously Eddie Howe's well-respected and well-loved down there on the South Coast. So the fact that he was kind of almost shown the door does that surprise you or do you or do you think like like marley says it was probably the right time to change things up no i think marley was 100 percent right um you said a respect a lot there and i think that's what bournemouth has shown him by allowing him to lead by mutual consent but at the end of the day um i don't think they were going anywhere i think time had run out for him uh if you look at if you look at how he's done over the past uh, four seasons never mind the one where they, the first season where they got up and stayed up the past four seasons of the premier league they finished ninth place and then they've gone 12th, 14th, 18th. They've slowly been sliding down. And to be honest with you, as a neutral, I think they've become less exciting to watch. When they first came into the Premier League, and especially in that second season, they were a really exciting team to watch. But especially this season, nobody's really been that bothered, unless if you're a Bournemouth fan. So there's been a natural progression in that slide. Interestingly, though, if you look at if you look at the stats for Bournemouth of goals scored and goals conceded, mm. they're exactly the same over the last five years. So that suggests to me that the standard in the Premier League has improved, whereas Bournemouth haven't improved. And I think if you look at some of the signings that they've made, I mean, they spent 50 million on Philip Billing and that's that was their marquee signing. I don't really think that's worked out for them. Um, so, yeah, I think I think it was time for mutual consent. Um, and I think, I think Eddie Howe, has probably saved a bit of face by leaving that way rather than being sacked. It would have been a bit of a sour note Mm. to end what has been four really, really successful years in the Premier League. And of course, the whole rise up from from, uh, the lower divisions as well. So... I think all good things come to an end and that's what this is, this story's been for Eddie Howe. I think you're right. I think there have been question marks, particularly defensively with the amount of goals that Bournemouth have conceded. You know, in the last five years that they've been a Premier League club, no side has conceded more goals in the top flight than they have. You mentioned the signings. I think that's a big question mark as well. The likes of Billing and Jefferson Lerma, who have both been very underwhelming in my opinion. But I think that comes with being a small club. I think Bournemouth, people forget how small a club Bournemouth actually are. And I think you're right too, you know, it would have been a shame to kind of end Eddie Howe's reign as manager with a sacking. I mean, would have soured things, definitely. But can you see him picking up a job in the Premier League now as, it, as his next kind of appointment, Marley? Because 
I was thinking about the clubs that he could go to and there's no one that immediately springs to mind in terms of a perfect fit as a manager in terms of the players that the clubs have got. At least not Eddie Howe going straight in there and hitting the ground running. If if he was to go into a club in the Premier League that I can think of right now off the top of my head, he'd have to go in there with a little bit of time to be able to reconstruct the squad how he wants it to be constructed. Um, well, I, I slightly disagree. I think there's an absolutely perfect club for him. And it's in the Premier League and they don't need a manager yet, but they will do soon, I think. Um, and I think that's Crystal Palace. Do you think they've got the players to play the Eddie Howe way, though? Do you think Crystal Palace, I mean, they've got they've got an ageing squad. We've mentioned it on the podcast before and they do have some good talent in, in the Crystal Palace squad and the academy kind of is underused by Roy Hodgson. And like you say, he's the oldest manager in the Premier League, so it's likely that he's going to be on his way in the next season or so. But do you think that, that you know, Crystal Palace are ready made for Howe to come in and kind of do his thing? Uh, to be honest, I don't think any club's ready-made for for a new manager to come in because you know they're, they're so set up to the old one. But at some point, you have to change. Um, you know, Crystal Palace tried to change a couple of years ago when they got Frank De Boer in, um, and where they probably struggled was that De Boer didn't really know much about. You know, he didn't have much experience of the um, of the English Premier League, so he didn't quite know the you know the intensity and all the other cliches that go with it. And they ended up losing the first five games and, and sacking him, which was probably too quick. But he was trying to go from you know one style to another. I think Eddie Howe would do a similar thing. However, he has got that experience of you know he knows he knows more about the players you're going to come up against week in week out. Um, and the more I think about Howe to Crystal Palace. The more I'm, I'm almost doubting why it hasn't already happened. I mean, like Crystal Palace, they're they're annoyed with with Hodgson. The fan base seems to be losing patience with him. They obviously had that shocking end of the season where they didn't win in uh, in six games, or was it might have been even more? I'm not quite sure, but they lost five on the bounce. Um, and you know, Hodgson, like you said, doesn't use the uh, the young the the academy, and that academy has produced you know Zaha, Juan Pesaka, you know, quite a few you know decent players over the years. So you know, I just think they'll probably give him another few months, and if they're if they're languishing in sort of fifteenth, you know, come October November time, they'll be like, right, who's out there? And Eddie Howe, hopefully for them, will still be out there because I I just think it's perfect for them. It's not. You know, if he was if he was at Bournemouth and he he was he was sort of having to get like prized away by by a club, Crystal Palace probably wouldn't be able to do that in terms of you know if you if he left Bournemouth you know from being an amazing manager he'd probably want you know a, a top eight job something like that or definitely a top half job. So now he's he's a free agent. I think he has to lower his sights a little bit, um, and Crystal Palace is that sort of steady club that he can he can hopefully take on to the uh to the next level because I think he's got so much unnecessary stick in the in the past you know two or three days since he's been sacked uh well not sacked but you know left by mutual consent or whatever you know loads of people saying oh I, I don't quite I don't get him I don't think he's that good and it's like this guy's been he's took this is a football manager job like he's took the Bournemouth from a League 2 team up into League 1 then into the Championship then into the Premier League kept them there for five years that's a ridiculous achievement as a manager and that needs to be like respected and you know people say no he mm. might he might have to settle for a Championship job but why? I don't I don't see why like there's going to be three or four managers sacked next season in the Premier League as there always is so if he, if he sits tight I think he'll walk into one of them jobs because you know the same old everyone. Everyone in football is sick, sick of seeing the same old people get them jobs. You know the Pardews, the Allardyces, the the uh, the Pulises. <laughs> if an Eddie Howe sat there at forty-two years old with you know five years' experience in the Premier League, playing good football with Bournemouth and keeping a, a small team in the Premier League for for that long, then why not? Why not? Um, you know, be there to jump into a hot seat when one becomes available. I think just to build on your point there, Marley, Eddie Howe, like you say, is 42. He's been at Bournemouth for about 12 years or whatever it is. So it's like, you know, you've got to remember he was 30. He just retired from a serious injury from playing straight into management. And so, you know, you can even accentuate his achievements by the fact that he is just 42 and he's done all this already. Do you agree, Stefan? That, um, do you agree that, that Crystal Palace would be a good fit for Eddie Howe? Yeah, I, th- I think I think they're the first team that he'd look for. Um but I've got a bit of a curveball, and that's uh, if you, you're talking a little bit about clubs uh, 
playing the Eddie Howe way. So we're, talk, we're talking about attacking football here. So imagine a situation where somebody like Nuno left Wolves to go to a bigger club. Um, that, that, that's a job that must be perfectly set up for somebody like Eddie Howe, surely. It's not a bad shout, you know. I mean, it's, it's not out of the question. I think Howe has earned his right to have a stab at a bigger club for, for sure. Yeah, I, I, I fancy that, to be honest with you. If you look at the attacking players that Wolves have, I know I know three or four of them are linked away uh, to, to move. So again, I'm saying this, no disrespect to Wolves, to bigger clubs. Um, but if a few of them stayed uh, and the manager is is somebody who's hotly anticipated to move up to, let's say, a world-class club at some point in the next few years, and I think something like that would be perfect for Eddie Howe. Um, but going back to what Marley said, he has had a bit of stick over the last two or three days, um, and that's unjustified because you're, you're absolutely right. What what he's done to bring, which was let's let's be honest with you, I don't want to say a small town club, but they are. Um, that's an amazing achievement. So Marley's hundred percent right there. Yeah, I mean, they are a small club. I think it's easy to forget and people saying they don't understand Bournemouth like what Marley was mentioning. All you need to understand is that they were seconds away from administration, possibly even liquidation in 23rd out of 24 teams in League Two when Howe stepped in there. And the journey they've been on since then is absolutely incredible. And I think those Bournemouth fans will remember those five years in the top flight very, very fondly. And so they should, because by all accounts, uh, they shouldn't even be there. But just finally, I don't think Bournemouth will personally bounce back. I mean, I don't think it's as easy now to come straight down from the Premier League into the Championship and get back up straight away. I mean, you you would know about that, Marley, as a Newcastle fan, and you know just how tough that is um, to come straight back up from the Championship. So do you think Bournemouth are going to follow like Newcastle did a few seasons ago in a similar vein, or do you think it'll be more tough for them? Um, I would be... I'd be inclined to say it'd be it'd be tougher, um, purely because I think there's gonna be they're gonna lose a few of their players. I think obviously Aki is going. Um, I think somebody will will take Wilson, um, or they they probably well they they probably should. He's deserved. He's you know, he's proved his his worth in the Premier League. I think somebody will probably take Josh King. Um, you got to look at the wages these guys are on. If they're on forty fifty grand, and then you're going down to the Championship. And you know, with the whole COVID thing and affecting finances, you've got to look at um, you know how how that affects you, and and that makes players easier to 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 poach from them. Um, but they've still got, I think, they've still got a squad capable of coming back up. Um, I think compared to like Watford, for example, I think quite a lot of players have, uh, at Watford are going to get taken. Um, because they're on massive wages, so they almost have to be pushed out um, to to cut costs and and come back. Whereas Bournemouth, they've got the, they've got the big earners, but the likes of you know Aaron Ramsdale, Steve Cook, Charlie Daniels, uh, Lewis Cook will probably stay um, unless somebody could, you know, well, somebody could take him. But you know Billing Billing will probably stay. They've got enough good good like good Championship players to to get them back there. It's just what you what you're able to keep hold of financially and you know from a footballing perspective i think if they do appoint the the um the assistant manager then you know the players will know him as well so they might be more inclined to stay as well and you know and say you know he's he knows what we're about he knows everything um you know about the club and what have you and maybe he is best place to get us back but it just depends on the, on what the players want really and uh and we'll see we'll see what they're left with after the transfer window but I wouldn't back against them um but also I wouldn't be confident because if if you're predicting things in the championship you're just asking for uh, for trouble because it's an absolutely mental league and uh and literally anything can happen I know it's a cliche but literally anything can happen in that league at any point Stefan, what do you think? Bournemouth back up, or do you think it is, uh, it's a couple of years in the Championship for them? A couple of years in Championship for them. I think they're going to be the new Stoke City next season. They'll be they'll be hanging around the 15th, 16th position. Uh, and purely because I think, as, as Malley's just said, the best two players are going to go, Callum Wilson and Josh King. Um, but they've got enough of a spine of a team to be a decent Championship team. I mean... One that I would always be looking at is uh, Lewis Cook, the third best player to come from York City after Jonathan Green and Dean Kiley. So I mean, <laughs> you've got you've got a great pedigree there, you know, to be a good Championship team. But 
there's two parts to that question. First is what what players can we keep, um, but second of all, who's going to come in and and who's going to energise these players and and give almost give them a push to be challenging in that in that promotion place because I'm I'm never I'm never that happy about number twos coming in uh, and taking the managerial seat. I prefer to see somebody fresh come in and and change it up a little bit because otherwise it's going to be a continuation of of what's been happening for maybe the last two or three years in the champ uh, in Bournemouth uh, continuing in the championship. So I would, to be honest with you, I'd be hiring somebody in who knows how to get somebody up, e.g. Chris Hewton, or somebody exciting, uh, maybe a new manager in John Terry, somebody like that. Well, with Eddie Howe's departure from Bournemouth after such a long time, that means that Sean Dyche is bumped up the longest serving managers in English football list um, in terms of professional clubs. He's in third place. He's been at Burnley for seven years and 278 days. Eddie Howe um, was the third longest serving manager in English football up until that point. So he's certainly done his time at Bournemouth, but he has left the club by mutual consent upon their relegation from the Premier League last Sunday. Time is up for Eddie Howe at the Cherries, but will we see him pop up in the Premier League again? soon I have a hunch that we will see that Stefan thinks it could be Wolves Marley thinks it could be Crystal Palace what do you think let us know on our Twitter account at the Sports Social and you can also find us on Instagram and Facebook too time to take a quick break here on Football Social Daily but afterwards we'll be talking about the FA Cup final where Arsenal picked up a record 14th trophy Football Social Daily Spin like royalty here at kingcasino.com. Over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. Please play responsibly. Be gambleaware.org. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Welcome back to the podcast. This is Football Social Daily from Sports Social. Premier League podcasts with news and opinion from the English top flight from real fans. Myself, Marley and Stefan with you on today's show. We've been talking about the fact that Eddie Howe has left his job by mutual consent at AFC Bournemouth over the weekend. Where might he pop up? We're not so sure. We'll have to keep an eye on that one, of course. But one thing we do know for certain is that Arsenal have picked up a 14th FA Cup trophy. That is a record. No club has won more. I saw some wild stat on Twitter. Twitter that Arsenal have won 10% of all FA Cups ever contested, which is just unbelievable. But the first thing I suppose we should say, Stefan, apart from the fact it was actually a decent game of football, and we'll come on to question marks about the referee a bit later, is that picking up that trophy salvages Arsenal's season. Because let's face it, Arsenal had a pretty rotten season, really, on the face of it. Um, Considering a club like Arsenal should be up there around the Champions League spots, and some might even say challenging, no title for 16 years, out of the Champions League places for the fourth season in a row, it has kind of put a nice high note on the end to what's been an otherwise poor season for them. Yeah, a great start for Mikel Arteta coming in for a few months and winning the FA Cup, which is mega. But Arsenal have done what they've become accustomed to doing. Arsenal have done an Arsenal. They've been so underwhelming for months after month after month. Uh, and then they've gone and won the FA Cup. And as you say, it's, they've won 10% of all FA Cups. So it's just Arsenal's trophy, isn't it? I don't know how they do it. But if you're an Arsenal fan, I mean, I know a lot of uh, fans from a lot of clubs who would love to win a, a guaranteed FA Cup every 10 years. So that can't be too bad for them, can it? No, absolutely. Yeah. And I think, like you say, credit must go to to Mikel Arteta. I mean, it's, he's been impressive, Stefan, hasn't he, really? I mean, you have to say that even though he's only been in a few months, you can kind of see the the green shoots of something new at Arsenal, which we weren't really seeing towards the end under Unai Emery. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know what it is, whether he's bringing, bringing a bit of a pep factor because he's worked with him for so long, whether it's the fact that he's got a bit of history with Arsenal. So that helps as well. But I, f- I think he's just he's just played it right in the big games and there's no bigger game for him this season obviously than the FA Cup final and he just went like for like with Chelsea they both played 3-4-3 and the difference between the two teams were that Tierney uh, Maitland-Niles Sabalos all had really really solid games close to world class games to be honest some of them whereas Zuma, Rudiger and Reese James Marcus Lonzo were dead dead sloppy but he just went 3-4-3 toe-to-toe really um, and I thought he got it spot on uh, and they've gone on and won the cup so fair play to him yeah yeah I mean to be honest Marley I mean something about Arsenal and the FA Cup they just seem to keep winning it especially in the last four or five years they've won loads of FA Cups I think 2020 2017 2015 2014 um, so they do have a bit of a a bit of a, uh, a love affair with the FA Cup but the fact that they beat Chelsea in the final that would kind of add an extra cherry on top 
to the win because it's almost revenge for that Europa League final last season in Baku where they were handsomely beaten by Chelsea. Yeah, um, it is revenge. I mean, I was looking at Arsenal's record. They've won four out of the last seven FA Cups, and that's that's incredible considering they've been nowhere near the Premier League in that in that time. In the, I don't think they've been in a title race since the mid sort of the mid two thousands um, when they also won three more FA Cups in. Uh, 2002, 2003, <laughs> and 2005. So it's a strange, uh, it's a strange record, but it's it's one that you know, it's a nice one to have, isn't it? Um, keep winning the FA Cup and keep underperforming in the league. It's it's not a complete disaster. So um, yeah, fair play to them. They were very good on Saturday. Um, I thought it was always going to be. I mean, we we previewed it on the Friday show, didn't we? I said I was slightly leaning towards Chelsea, but it was the the attack of Arsenal. Or the or the defence of Chelsea, and I mean it's it's whatever has the better game, and you know Obama Yang picked his uh, picked his spots really well, and he he was always a threat. Um, he you know he, he had uh, Aspilicueta on toast for that uh, that penalty he won, and Aspilicueta chased him so hard he he torn his hamstring or whatever he did, um, and then pulled him down. So that was one thing, and then obviously he took his his second goal really really well as well. So yeah, happy days for Arsenal, but. I think Chelsea had a, a real sort of um what's the word sort of a, a, a sort of it brought it home to them that they they do need a little bit more next season. I think that as as Stefan said the defense is really questionable. Um you know Marcus Alonso sometimes he can look world class and sometimes he can look like a Sunday league player and it's it's very rarely rarely in between. And he got absolutely embarrassed by Pepe a few times on Saturday, and you know Rudiger didn't have the best game. Um, Aspilicueta going off was a big was a big miss, um, and uh, as well, you know Reese James is he's only young, so you can probably you can probably uh, put that down to experience. And when you've got all the the guys behind you not having the best game, it's not hard. It's not easy to uh, to uh, you know stand up and and take the game. To uh, to Arsenal, especially when you're playing against a player as good as Aubameyang, but fair play to Arsenal, they were they were very very good, um, and you know they'll be hoping now they can uh, steal that. Uh, well, they've they've stolen that last place now from Wolves, haven't they, in the Europa League mm. thanks to winning that. So you know they'll be hoping that they can actually go on and and couple next season the European you know achievements with uh, with an actual run for the top four because. You know, what did they finish eighth or something like that? That's that's not good enough for Arsenal. And mm. if you want to build the players that you need to build to become a top four time, a top four side again, then you need to need to be doing more. So mm. hopefully, this can be a start of something for them. Yeah, like you say, winning the FA Cup means they do get into the Europa League next season, and that kind of leads me to ask two questions, Stefan. One of them: How will that affect them in the transfer market? Will that attract? better players than not being in the Europa League the, the obvious answer you'd think would be yes but it might run deeper than that and secondly does that mean Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang their talismanic goal scorer who let's be honest was excellent again in the FA Cup scored a, scored a great goal um, I mean is he more likely to stay now that they've won the FA Cup and they've got into the Europa League because there are a lot of question marks over whether he will hang around at the Emirates Aubameyang is talismanic the only thing that he messed up at the weekend was dropping the cup Everything else he did perfectly, <laughs> but um, yeah, I think I think he would have felt a lot of love from that game, and from the supporters and from his new managerial setup. He 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 was the main man, and I think that that makes all the difference. So I can I can see him I can see him staying at Arsenal, and he's kind of at that age now where how old is he? Thirty one, maybe coming up to thirty two, something like that. Where I don't know if he can really get a massive move to a massive club or at least it'll be a short term a bit like Van Persie going to Man United type thing so I can see him staying at Arsenal in terms of will they attract a better level of player I don't think it really makes much difference I don't know how much Arsenal will have to spend given the whole Covid thing um, and I think the big players who are available for a move this summer they'll go to Champions League teams. So I don't think it really makes a difference whether Arsenal got into that Europa League spot or not. Um, but it's, I think this FA Cup win for them is just the cherry on quite a disappointing cake. Uh, and they'll go ahead and they'll do exactly the same next year. 
I don't I don't think this is this cup is a transition for them at all. I think this cup is just their their bread and butter. And that it will just continue again as it has been for the last few years at Arsenal. Um but I, I can't see them getting any stellar, stellar signings in. I mean, the biggest bit of business that they could do in the summer would be to keep hold of Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang being reported now that a new contract for the Gabonese international could cost Arsenal about 40 million quid over three years. And that's just in, of course, wages and bonuses. Arteta was speaking before the FA Cup final about uncertainties in the transfer window. One of those was whether they can attract players because of European football next season. The other one was whether they could keep hold of Aubameyang. And just in, uh, in the space of 90 minutes, they've been able to solve two questions which could prove to be massive for Arsenal moving forward. You mentioned. Do you know, do you know what? Um, I, I think that just as important as Aubameyang staying for Arsenal is getting rid of Ozil and freeing up that cash. That'll make a big, big difference for them next season as well. Mm, yeah, 350k a week for Ozil. And you have to say, he probably hasn't played enough over that time period that he's been at Arsenal. So, yeah, definitely um, agree with you on that one. We've spoken a little bit about Chelsea. Mar- Marley, mainly you kind of touched upon. Um, upon their issues but they had a lot of question marks over the referee's performance Anthony Taylor now for a referee in English football you only ever get to referee one FA Cup final in your career you never get to referee two it is the pinnacle of being a referee that you referee the cup final now unfortunately for Anthony Taylor it wasn't the big fanfare uh, of being behind closed door uh, of being you know in front of 90,000 at Wembley it was behind closed doors um, two historic football clubs going toe to toe um, his performance certainly came into question, particularly from those of Chelsea persuasion. Uh, do you think that's fair? Because there are a few decisions, I'm thinking red card for Kovacic and a couple of other mistakes that arguably the referee made. I mean, is that just sour grapes from Chelsea or do they have a point about the referee being poor? Uh, is, is that right? Because he did the 2017 final as well. Oh, really? Okay, maybe that's changed then. Maybe that's changed. But the rules used to be that you can only ever referee one FA Cup final um, in your career. So maybe maybe they've changed it this year. They don't have enough good referees. Who knows? But um... <laughs> Well, maybe he did so well in 2017, they gave him 2020. And to be, to be perfectly honest, he had an absolute shocker on Saturday because the the second yellow card was, was um, for... Um, for Kovacic was it was just it was a joke it was barely a foul and it it hit that that annoying loophole we've got with VAR that because it was a yellow card it can't be looked at but I mean is it not does it not qualify as a clear and obvious error I think it does it changes the match literally changes the match you know if you're if you're t- refusing to look at a decision because you you know you can't you can't because it's a yellow, but it's such a pivotal moment in the match. Then I just think, what's the point in having technology at all if if you can't look at it in certain situations? Like, mm. surely the the fact that it it led to a red card makes it more than a yellow card almost. Like it, there should be an asterisk next to that rule, and like you can't look at the um, you can't look at yellow card unless it's a second yellow card and it leads to a red. It's a game-changing incident, isn't it? I mean, red card, you're losing a man, so of course it is. Yeah, and it it was barely a foul. I mean, Xhaka absolutely... I mean, fair play to him, but also it was a bit of a... You know, a bit of a house thing to do when he he took the contact, which was tiny, and he he squealed and he went down as as if he'd been sort of caught a stud on, you know, on sort of the ankle, but, I mean, it barely flicked him. Um, it wasn't enough. Probably wasn't enough to to take him to the floor, and he's went down like he's been shot. And Kovacic is looking at the referee like, no, no way. And then Taylor's got the red card, uh, the yellow card out, and then and then the red. And the commentators were surprised. You know, the pundits were surprised, and Kovacic probably said a few choice words to him in Croatian, which he looked pretty uh, pretty annoyed. I <laughs> mean, um, that was the that was the situation, the uh, decision that just compounded where Chelsea had. You know the day Chelsea had had because the since taking the lead, you know it all went downhill. Pulisic went down injured. Aspilicueta went down injured. You know, um, and then obviously you had that. So it was one of them where you know it's not impossible to come back from an FA Cup final with ten men. Obviously it's hard, but it, you're never ever going to do it as soon as you know the day they were having. They were, they never had a comeback in them. Mm. Uh, just just to go back on the. Anthony Taylor thing. Apparently, he's become the first man to referee a second FA Cup final 
since Arthur King Scott in 1901. Oh, that great man, Kingy. What a guy. Oh, yeah, know, yeah. He had some great FA Cup finals, that lad. Way back in if 1901. If you want to talk about great refereeing performances, get on YouTube and get the 1901 FA Cup final. Yeah, I know. Not many, not many legends get to referee two FA Cup finals in their career. Anthony Taylor has joined an esteemed group of people. Um, Chelsea will have their gripes over the referee's performance. In the end, they, they lost the match to Arsenal. Um, but as Marley mentions, Stefan, there will be concerns over some of the injuries that were picked up, mainly around Christian Pulisic, who seemed to have picked up a hamstring injury. The start of the new season is the 12th of September, which just over a month away now about a month and 10 days so I mean hopefully for Chelsea's sake he can get back fit again because he is he is a player that you quite enjoy watching isn't he I love Pulisic to be honest Pulisic looked identical to Aubameyang last night um, last night on Saturday Uh, the way the way they both finished with their goal the nice little dink over the top I I thought he was electric Um, so a big loss for Chelsea if he's out long term but um, am I right in saying that Chelsea have still got a Champions League fixture to complete uh, in the coming weeks yeah they have they're, they're, they're behind to buy Munich I think what are they four or five goals behind to buy and I don't think they're going to come back um, and win that so they've still got a game but yeah it's again the fitness is what Frank Lampard was questioning yeah I mean it, for Chelsea for Frank Lampard it's all about it's all about how he can build on this season. I think I think it's been a great first season for him. And I think that the fact that somebody like Pulisic has kind of come through the ranks a little bit there um, and established himself as the, the mega player that they thought he was going to be when they signed him um, is, yeah, it's massive for them. So him and Werner next season can, can make them a real exciting prospect. I think this season for Chelsea, I think it's just been a season too soon for everybody. I think it's quite important that they they taste a bit of defeat. I think that'll make them quite a decent team for the next coming years. For Frank Lampard to get to a cup final in his first season with Chelsea and lose, that's just going to motivate him and spur him on. And especially for a lot of them young Chelsea players, they've they've kind of tasted the success of of cup finals and and playing Champions League. They're going to want more of that. So although it's not great not picking up your cup, you know, on, on the Saturday FA Cup final day, they'll pick it up within the next two or three years I think so it's it, it was an interesting day I'm glad I'm glad Arsenal won because they deserved it the only thing that Arsenal did wrong the whole of Saturday was that horrible German lettering and numbering on the back of the shirts it just it just ruined all the pictures for the FA Cup final <laughs> I didn't think you would be adverse to some German on the back of a football shirt Stefan that's not like you I, I, I love a bit of German script but not on the back of my footy shirts come on okay fair enough that's from a, a man who's half German himself so you can take it as gospel uh, Stefan's opinion there <laughs> do you do you know where that comes from no idea um, you know on the old Arsenal badge before they reformed it um, the one in sort they added in the nineties and before that is a similar font to the the badge where where it says Arsenal oh, and they're okay. all badge. It's a similar font to that, so that's what they've gone for. But I admit it doesn't look great. It doesn't look great. <laughs> no, it doesn't. I've just I've just had a little Google. Yeah, it looks a bit weird. It looks a bit old English. It looks like something you find on the front of a church or something like that. But anyway, yeah, there's um, a designer somewhere in Adidas who's got a bit giddy and got a bit carried away there. I think. Although Arsenal and Adidas do seem to go hand in hand with their kits, I think it must be said they do tend to produce some decent home and away shirts. True. The yellow Arsenal one from back in the day is an absolute classic, and I'm not the sort of person who gets all misty-eyed over football shirts, to, to say the least. But anyway, Arsenal do pick up their four. 14th FA Cup trophy by beating Chelsea at the weekend. Um, Chelsea still in the Champions League, as Stefan says, with a game to come against Bayern Munich when that kicks back off again. Doesn't look like they're going to go through. But for Arsenal, huge, huge benefit to them picking up Europa League football next season. Time for a quick break now and we'll talk about the latest transfer gossip after this here on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Spin like royalty here at kingcasino.com. Over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. Please play responsibly. Be gambleaware.org. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. 
Welcome back to Football Social Daily. I'm Niall. Alongside me, we've got Marley Anderson and Stefan Armstrong. We've been discussing Arsenal winning the FA Cup final at the weekend and Eddie Howe leaving Bournemouth by mutual consent. But now it's time to talk about the latest transfer gossip doing the rounds in the Premier League. And most of them actually come from relegated clubs. I'm talking about Norwich City, Watford and of course Bournemouth. Now, the, the transfer talk is always going to be up in the air. I mean, there's a lot of rumours that I've kind of dug out over the last couple of days I thought well we could talk about that on the podcast but all of them seem to be a little bit flimsy however the couple that I've picked up do seem to have a little bit more to them the first one comes from the Daily Express and we've mentioned him earlier on in the podcast Um, you said Marley that Callum Wilson might get a move to the Premier League from Bournemouth um, after their relegation well it's said according to the Express that he's on the radar of West Ham United now they spent 45 million pounds West Ham on Seb in the summer didn't really work out for them Albion Ajeti isn't really up to much. Another summer signing who we've not really seen much of at the London Stadium. They've been playing Mikhail Antonio through the middle. He's had a really good end to the season, but is he going to be able to be consistent um, as a front man for West Ham? That remains to be seen, but certainly Callum Wilson is someone who you think might be able to do a job at West Ham. Yeah, just just when you said that, you know, certain transfer rumours, they seem to fit, don't they? Uh, sometimes, you know, you get an idea of of you know you think oh that that just seems to make sense or, or that doesn't seem to make sense but Callum Wilson to West Ham does seem to make a bit of sense you know West Ham of you know Halle's he looked good at first and then obviously he struggled with injury and he went a bit quiet um and then you know he, he spent a long time out injured and and didn't quite build on what he'd what he'd uh, he's sort of promising start but um yeah Wilson's got that experience he's he's still got um England ambitions with the the Euros coming up at the end of next season hopefully um you know he's 28 years old so he hasn't got the you know he hasn't got another massive move in him at the end of that thing so he's not got much sell on value which might put a few off but West Ham aren't in a position where they can be looking at that and thinking that'll stop us making a move for him because if you can get Callum Wilson for 15 million and that's great business um, you know he's, he's a third of the price of Haller he can score you know 40 I think he got 14 goals in a season a few a few years ago um, he's a genuine threat he's got pace he can finish I think West Ham need a second striker they can't just be relying on uh, on Haller and, and possibly Antonio but he's you know he's versatile he can play pretty much anywhere so Bringing in uh, Wilson, that seems that seems a good bit of business for me. I think um, West Ham have a horrible transfer record history in terms of buying big names and thinking they're gonna, you know, walk to a, a top half place and maybe have a shot at Europe. And they all tend to be not that good. I think they do need to sign more more experienced um, Premier League players, and I think Callum Wilson's one of them. So if they can get that over the line, then I think they're doing themselves a favour. In terms of all the players from relegated sides, Stefan, Callum Wilson would be up there as amongst one of the best, don't you think? Yeah, I think Mali just said something there where he said as a second striker. And to be honest with you, that's how I see Callum Wilson. He only scored nine goals this season. So if West Ham are signing him, hoping that that's going to propel them to, to a top 10 finish, say, next season, that's not going to happen. He's not he's not that sort of player. I think in terms of value... Um, it makes sense. He's not he's not going to cost an arm and a leg and he'll be able to do a job, but he's not going to transform that team. Uh, and I, I prefer, to be honest, Mikel Antonio to Callum Wilson, if I'm being honest. So, I don't... It's not groundbreaking, you know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you're saying. And, you know, he is an England international and if he wants to carry on getting into the England squad, then he's going to probably need to take a move to, the, to a Premier League side rather than stay in the Championship. I think it's unlikely that... Gareth Southgate's going to pick him if he's not playing Premier League football on the regular. So that's one of the transfer rumours that I've kind of noted for today. But the other one comes from Watford and this time it's Troy Deeney, who apparently, according to the Daily Mail, is being offered to Tottenham. Now, Marley mentioned about some transfer rumours making sense. This one certainly doesn't make sense to me, but I thought it was worth mentioning because the Daily Mail say that Deeney has been offered to Tottenham. Can you see Jose Mourinho saying, all right, Troy, Come on, come d- come no. down from Watford, just uh, a couple of miles south to North London, and uh, and come and join my side. It's just not going to happen, is it? No, not at all. That's like it's like no me way. going up to like you know um, Jeff Bezos of Amazon and offering him a tenner. It's just it's not going to happen. <laughs> He's going to be like, "I'm sorry, mate, I don't need that." 
this this baffling this. I mean, obviously they're trying there might be, you know, a move at Watford to try and get um Deeney off the wage books. Um he might be you know, might be burning a hole in their in their wage packet, so he might that might be the the uh the thing behind this. But Deeney's nowhere near good enough for Spurs. Like I know Spurs aren't quite what they were, you know, a couple of years ago when they got to the Champions League final, but Deeney, no. I mean, how many goals did he score this season? Probably, was it five or six? And how many of them were penalties? <laughs> All of them. And that was the most of them. And how many of them penalties did he just absolutely smash down the middle? Um, like he always does, and no keeper seems to want to stand in the way of it. So he's, just, he's nowhere near good enough for, for Spurs. I'm not having that. I think he's 30 as well, so nah, no chance. It would have made more sense Deeney going to West Ham. And, and Callum Wilson going to Tottenham I could believe that <laughs> yeah, but Deeney going anywhere other than down with Watford I can't see it it's like a captain of a ship slowly yeah, sinking I mean, he said he might want to leave Watford so if he does leave Watford I mean is there a club in the Premier League that would offer him Burnley uh, you think so yeah I mean that, that does make sense Sean Dyche goes <laughs> to bed at night dreaming of signing uh, Troy Deeney the strongest, probably, probably the physically the most strong <laughs> striker in the Premier League who wins all his headers and gets dirty with people. I think Sean Dyche would have an absolute wet dream over trying to sign him. Imagine Chris Wood and Troy Deeney up front together. That'd be just disgusting. Oh, that'd be disgusting. Burnley oh, to finish in the horrible. Champions League if that happens. You just <laughs> anyway, Troy Deeney's been offered to Tottenham. Not one that we think is going to happen here on Football Social Daily. Um, that'll do for the transfer rumours for now. Because just to close off the podcast, one thing I wanted to ask you both: it is on Tuesday night tomorrow, the playoff final in the Championship, Brentford versus Fulham. We could have a new side in the Premier League for the first time, Brentford, or we could have an old timer back up to the big time after a year away in Fulham. Stefan, I mean. You you like a little bit of the championship from time to time. Who who do you want to win out of this? Brentford and Fulham, two London clubs, two West London clubs at that. Uh, who do you think will come up to the Premier League? Well, first of all, I'm absolutely chuffed that both Swansea and Cardiff have dropped off. Well, <laughs> happy about that. I didn't want either of them to be in Premier League. Nothing against Wales or anything. I just find the clubs a bit boring. But um, <laughs> out of Fulham, I've got a soft spot for Fulham. Don't hold what back, I say, but. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to. Um, I really hope that Brentford go up. Um, give them a stab at the big time. But also, I, I quite like I quite like the atmosphere around the club. I'm talking about Thomas Frank as the manager. He's like the sort of cool, calculated Danish guy, a bit like Steve Jobs. Uh, he does all his money ball you know, analysis on, on building a team like that. I like that they've changed things up a bit. They've got a B team instead of an academy. I think that's great. Um, and I think what a way to say goodbye to 100 and a million years at Griffin Park um, by going into the Premier League with a new stadium. That's dead exciting. So I really hope it's Brentford. And the way they played, um, in especially the first half of that second leg, um, they were they were dynamite, man. So I hope they go up, and I hope that they can they can surprise a few people at Premier League next year. Marley, would you second that? Fancy Brentford up in the Premier League? Um, yeah, basically. Um, I you know looking at the two teams, you know that if Fulham win, you know they're getting relegated next season, don't you? You know they're not <laughs> going to be good enough. They came up last year, spent hundred million, and went straight back down with an absolute whimper. So. You know they're gonna do it again, so for me, like, why not just? I would just like as a neutral who doesn't support any of these teams, I would want to see Brentford just because. Why not? Just get, it's nice to see another team um, come into the um, come into the league, and it's also quite rare that probably the the best, if Brentford get promoted, the two top the two best football insides in the championship have came up through Leeds and Brentford. They play very, very good football. Um, they're, you know, they're always trying to pass it along the on the ground and nice and quick. And they've got sort of dynamic players, and I like I like that about them. Um, also, Saeed Ben Rama is far too good to to stay in the championship. So I think if they don't uh, come up now, then I think somebody might might pay you know big money to, to take him up anyway. I'd, I'm not saying they'll survive next season with this you know, with this. Um, uh, you know the style of football and what have you, but 
why not? Let's let's find out. I think it's nice as well for the um, for them to play the last ever game at uh, at Griffin Park in the in the semi final of the um, the playoffs, and then the first ever game at that uh, at the new stadium is the first ever game in the Premier League. I just think that's a nice little nice little narrative, um, and I think they'll be uh, they'll probably start as favourites as well. So. Let's see what they can do. I mean, they've got a lot of unproven players, but so did Bournemouth when they came up and they lasted five years. So why not? Mm. Brentford are a similar sized club. Um, they've, they've just got the new stadium. They need them. They could do with the money as well from the Premier League to pay off that stadium a bit quicker. Um, and we've got a couple of players where they can come up and, and find themselves in the Premier League and, and stay there for years to come, even if Brentford don't. So let's see what they can do. And I'm, I'm sort of, hoping that they come up because we know like I said we know what we're going to get from Fulham they're going to come up they're going to battle their way and, and ultimately go go down again so why not why not let's have something different yeah I'd quite like to see Brentford just purely because um, like you say a new club in the Premier League and I'm just yeah. a bit gutted that Griffin Park is no longer I mean their stadium was, was absolutely class I've been there a couple of times really cool little stadium um, just in the the west of London near the uh near the river and uh, not too far from the motorway easy to get to pubs on every corner of the ground proper old school stadium with the tower floodlights you don't see that much anymore but it looks like it might be a new ground that um, Brentford will be playing in next season if they get up to the Premier League so they'll have to beat Fulham on Tuesday night so on Wednesday's podcast we'll let you know who that third uh, promotion spot is taken up by but that's it for today's Football Social Daily thanks Marley Thank you. Cheers, Stefan. Cheers, mate. Been a pleasure. (laughs) And I've been Niall. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Make sure you hit subscribe. Three podcasts a week until the season starts again, which, as I said before, just over a month away. So you don't want to miss out on any of the action when things kick off back to normal again. Uh, But that's it for now. And we'll speak to you again tomorrow. Football Social Daily. Spin like royalty here at kingcasino.com. Over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. Please play responsibly. BeGambleAware.org. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.